It says connected. Oh, it's connected. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh. Cool. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Things are happening right now. Like, I get out of the bath, and then my son is, like, playing Roblox with his door open, and my stepsister randomly is like, hey, you want to talk? And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm fucking doing. My stomach is not happy. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm happy this worked. This does work. And I started it with, uh, like, the profile says autistically accurate. Can yes. you see that? Right on. And I looked up um, autisticallyaccurate.com. It's available. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? It is. How for do we... $37, I can have it reserved for two years. Oh, okay. Totally a goalpost. Okay. Cool. Do you like that? Jeremy, do you like that? I do. Yeah. I, Jeremy... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think about it for a minute. But, I mean, it's cool so far. But I don't know if I'd buy it. Oh, okay. I like it because <laughs> I think... I don't know if I'd buy it. I'd buy it for a dollar, but I don't know if I'd buy it for 37 What are you talking about? 37 to rent, rent the domain in for two years. Well, that's, that's normal. I know, but you got to think. Is that the name you want? You're willing oh. to pay thirty-seven fifty for that name. I like it because I can see it being um, acceptable. It's gimmicky enough for me because I always like a little gimmick. It's and got, it's like autistically accurate, right? So it's got some. It's got gimmick factor. It's got gimmick sure. factor for sure, and that really appeals to me. Like the wordplay on it, it's like, oh, it's totally accurate if you're autistic. It's actually yeah. pretty good. Now that I'm thinking about it more and more, it's like, right? Yeah, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's clear. It's like basically you're talking to autistic people. Yeah, I just put I just put the ASD lens on and thought about it like you would. I'm like, oh god. And not only that. It seems, it seems that that's a big deal with regard to like the current political platform of like, who are we listening to when these agents come out? Are they autistic or are they people trying to cure autism? There is no cure for autism. Right. But there's a huge political force that is the majority of money goes to people that believe in a cure and are actively seeking a cure. That's, crazy. That's where the money's going. It's not going to help us in any way adapt. It's helping to eradicate us. I think because people like when you when you find out you're autistic or whoever is autistic a child or the or yourself or whatever and then like okay well what's the next step? The next step is blank in the medical field. it's like there's no other like oh here are your options you can do like this or this or whatever it's just like oh here like autistic here's what we're doing to focus on autism we're yeah medical needs options yeah needs options i just think it's starting from a very flawed premise like oh you have autism that's bad i'm sorry to tell you man your child has autism these this is all bad it's all bad it's all pathologized yeah instead of like okay remember what i was saying earlier about like i saw the brain patterns of an autistic person and the brain patterns of a neurotypical yeah that's super cool right 
and you yeah. see all of these colors and all of this activity and then ask yourself the question okay i'm about to be you're we're going to place you in a situation where you're about to be in a hold up that was a chaos that that image was a chaotic stimuli it was basically the neurotypical snapshot that they took was of a neurotypical brain probably like almost sleeping okay whatever to get the barest reading then they yeah hyper-stimulated the autistic brain to get that picture. Your brain isn't operating at that capacity all the time. That's an extreme... Unless you are under stress and you're autistic, then your brain is fucking going like that all the time. So that's what I learned. I heard that it's actually with autistic people, it's the opposite. That the fear factor during a crisis is reduced with an autistic person, but during normal circumstances and normal stimuli, the autistic brain is firing off like, and the fear factor is present. It would completely, it would completely explain why you're vulnerable to predators, why you have social communication breakdowns because you, you're, you're the homeostasis thing is completely affected in the wrong ways where you should be picking up on danger. You're not. And it makes you vulnerable to the to the neurotypical whatever you want to call this. And then when you have regular situations come up, you have that fear response. It's like something's crossed. It's it's really it's a really strange phenomenon. But it could I don't know, like, does that mean that we don't get afraid? Because during the I'm crisis, very cautious. I'm very cautious about everything in life myself. But no. I feel fear during the moment. But I can it's, tell you, it's yeah. not a fear. It's not a fear thing. What it what it is is it's it's something that comes down to your core system. It's not homeostasis, but it's still part of the same thing, and it's what causes your fight, flight, or freeze. A divergent type of stasis. Yeah, and what's happening is is you're 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 perceiving things. I guess the best way to, to put it would be from a visible state and you're not catching the undertones that would normally like, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's the emotional range of the undertones. That makes but complete you sense. You don't recognize it in other people when they're putting off like these warning things like, Hey, they're, they're, you, you try to clinic, you try to clinically analyze the behavior instead of like, I don't know how to explain it. That that's perfect. That's exactly how it is. And it, to me, that makes complete sense because yeah. we seem so cold and yeah. fucking heartless or whatever, or like and we intellectualize things. And it's, it's like your your thinking, your 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 fucking cog- cognitive field and your physical sensational field are working, but the emotional field is not in line with that so that can make it seem like we don't understand other people or we're not feeling their feelings but we can feel we feel our feelings yeah. we know what they feel like we know what emotions feel like we feel them in our body but we we're having that disconnect between the thinking and the emotions and the feeling the sensations and the emotions and yeah and what what doesn't help sometimes is is the hyper focusing comes into effect when you're in a social social situation and you're trying to pick up on the cues around your you're definitely hyper focused and i can't like i'd like to see some brain scans in and neural activity with say watching tv versus watching an autistic tiktok video just the the 
the intent, the the wanting to know, just because I know that it, the autistic brain is very, very hypersensitive to everything. It has extra neural connectors. It, it's running neural pathways through lobes that shouldn't even be accessed. So, and it's crazy the way it does it. What I'm what I'm looking at, and I'm just touching. I haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg yet. But, Do you imagine what it would look like pre-freakout, during a freakout, post-freakout, yeah, mid-conversation, I mean, yeah, exactly. in a social situation, vaping, vaping, um, in a moment of hyper-focus? Petting your dog, eating, uh, driving, yep. everything. I'd like to see scans on it all, which is like impossible for me to actually impossible. get that information. It'd have to be such an elaborate study that would take so much funding and even if it could be simulated it would show up in a part of your brain that is imagining the situation instead of actually experiencing the situation so it would be a different part well that's that and then we get into your perceptions well that could be mm -hmm. askew but that could be that could also be harnessed to your advantage I mean, just because you're, it's in the imaginary part of your brain. See, this is the thing: the part of your, the imaginary part of your brain is connected to your subconscious, which is taking data from your conscious. So you have the physical memory, you have all the physical sensation, you, but it is your perception of the events. Yeah, you the only thing that would be whatever it is, whatever part of your brain that is getting the information from the experiences that you're currently having. That would be that 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 data wouldn't be, you know, because you know, like you're driving a car and you're you know you're focusing whatever you need to do to be able to drive safely. That's what your brain is focusing on. But if you're thinking about driving a car, then your hippocampus, you're just recalling that memory. Um, and unless that you can really, the hypo, the hypo what? yeah, the hippocampus, and it's very closely connected to the amygdala, where the amygdala is like your fear center. Um, so you've been studying this stuff a little bit. I yeah, I do know it. Um, I try like I've known about it for a while, and I try to I tried to remember it from college, but I only remember things if they pertain to me. So. Yeah, well, all of it pertains to me now, so I'm gonna dive into it a little bit. I'm gonna hyper focus a little bit on it. <laughs> neuro neurobiology and neuropsychology is is the best. Yeah, there's more to it, though. Like there's you know, what's funny is I'm looking at like her behavior system and I apply a lot of what I learned in drug rehab to this whole entire like mindset that I have on how to proceed about this situation. It's very strange. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of tools that are fucking necessary to get you guys where you want to be. I think you guys are definitely going to fucking get there. You're recording. No, that's okay. Are you? Okay. We can just put PG. Oh. <laughs> People are gonna hear me talking to So I think it's interesting. Like this is what I imagine. I feel like if you took a brain scan of me during most every situation, especially like if you include other people, like if I'm doing something and I'm on my own, I don't think you're gonna see the same brain patterns. But if I'm no. doing something and there's someone in the room or someone around me or someone that I'm considering, it gets all messy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't behave the same way. And I bet my brain is firing in weird ways because I'm overcompensating. Like, oh my God, like add another person into the mix. It's going to yeah. multiply by two. The Oh my God. Every yeah. per, it's going to get worse. Every person that you. Yes. Involved. And that's what I'm noticing is that like, oh I God. like get totally confused. This is part of why I can't handle like if the TV's on and someone's talking to me and I'm doing something online, I will literally like freak the fuck out. Yeah. And it happens in a moment, you know, it's like, wait, 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 stop. Like, I don't hear anything. I just go. But when you're hyper-focused, like, have you ever done three fucking things on three different screens at the same time while someone's talking to you? I do. And you get right, like, you know exactly what you're doing. You're in your prime. You're at this moment, I think I have like 50 screens open. It's it's weird. It's I weird how no that's the weird thing. It's like okay, multitasking. I think yeah. multitasking is one thing if I'm on my own. It's multitasking when there's another person included, or there's another person included, or a society, or a community, or a, you know, yeah. uh, some sort of you know event. Um, absolutely, totally different set of criteria. Yeah, like and, I, I noticed that with our with our relationship you're learning to take on, like I've noticed, especially lately, you are before where you use the word I a lot. You make a lot of I statements. Um, now you're starting to make we statements. And I'm realizing that it's like, I don't know, you have a, a, a not a script, but a, a timing with a social relevance. It's like you're, you're, it's hard to explain what your brain is doing. But I can see it mimicking things. I can see it trying to incorporate things on a superficial level. Well, but I think me incorpor- going from I statements to we statements is, is it, actually significant. Yeah, because it's, it's very significant. For me, like, I don't say we statements unless I feel a part of the we. Uh-huh. And right. for me, I've never felt a part of a we in anything ever like we is a very difficult thing for me to like formulate and i noticed this i noticed that since you've self-diagnosed since you guys have come to the conclusion of the diagnosis without actually having a clinical diagnosis i don't think a clinical diagnosis there's a foundation in place for this but um because you're going to spend a year just pondering stuff you know what I mean? But as long as you're going on the ASD lens, I mean, you pretty much know if you're on the ASD spectrum. I guess it depends on what you want to do with it. For me, there's two things. So, like, I don't need a clinical diagnosis to confirm and validate for me that I'm autistic. Yeah. What I do need it for is to confirm and validate it to my community and to the people that I've encountered in life and that I will encounter in life. But there is an actual situation taking place that is invisible that does deeply affect my life and will affect their life if, if they get on my radar. Yeah. Right. Um, if, if they become a special focus for me, if our dialogue and our interaction and whatever I, it is I need from them becomes super important to me, it's almost guaranteed that we're going to encounter my autism. I'm going to try to come up with a card. But to, this is what I think. For you. I think that what I want to do with autism requires a clinical diagnosis because it's like it's like one more battle you don't have to fight that's something that that's you that you'll be taken seriously yeah yeah unfortunately but yeah yeah. like at the same time i feel a little guilty saying that i 
I need that because I'm so super aware of how many women will never get there, of how many countries, you know, don't even diagnose adults, let alone women, you know, and just the science and all of that, that, that tells me the medical field has failed, you know, autistic people wholly. Yeah. This whole, you know, high functioning level, you know, low functioning is instead of really focusing on spectrum and that whole concept of you, if you know one person with autism, you know, one person with autism, right. but having it categorized, like what you said earlier about, you know, even the level one, level two and level three, that needs to be viewed on a spectrum too. Yeah. Oh yeah. That absolutely needs to be viewed on. I do, I do not believe that it is fair to love to diagnose someone as ASD level one and not understand that just because of that assessment, they automatically are possibly going to tip into level two without a problem. Just 100%. On the situation. Yeah. Yep. And if that situation is bad enough, they could go into level three. Yeah. You know what? With level three, because level three. With level three, I think there are more things in there that are that are biologically based, biologically irreversible, um, you know, motor skills, um, cognitive, lower cognitive. It's not, I don't know what word to use. Cognitive. Uh, Mute. What are you saying? Are you saying that, that level three is more organic than level one or two? No, I'm saying that like if you look at someone who's level three um, and you look at someone who's level, okay, level three is the most severe. Level one is the least severe. I need to categorize it in a black and white way. So I'm sorry for my labels, but it's just how my silly fucking well, no, brain. I'm sorry because I don't think they've actually worked out the labels. So it's probably no. causing us confusion because the labels don't make sense. So level three. Because I feel like, hey, for me, like there's so many fucking things that, that 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 so many counteractions like okay i have depression and sometimes i am really able to function with depression but then sometimes i can't i can't get out of bed i can't function properly i have low functioning depression but when you come to autism you don't say those things like that's not how you're supposed to say it because it it's hurts feelings or something i don't know well, I think they take it into comorbid. But the thing for me is the way I understand level one, level two, and level three is according to how much you need services. So if you're level three, you know, it can have some, you know, like a variant of, of manifestations. Um, you could be bedridden, you could be mute, you could be, you know, there's a lot of things that could, and, and then on top of it, comorbidities, right? most autistic people have comorbidities yeah so if they're unable to communicate i would consider that level three but then also unable to um you know take care of themselves or right well if they're voluntarily they're not going to be able to take care of themselves because you have to communicate to take care of yourself nobody's doing anything on their own really so i'm looking i'm looking at your guys's your your exchange and i'm classifying it from my point of view what i see i would say there's about 15 different levels of all the ranging from i don't think there should be levels at all i well, think there I should mean, be a I spectrum think, i think there's degrees i don't like think you should... have something all the way from say a functioning adult with a career 
down to somebody who's so severely disabled from this that their motor skills are impaired. But the problem that I see with that is that the person that's like totally considered what they call high functioning and with a career could have an incident take place because of their autism, like what happened to me. And all of a sudden they find themselves level two, level three, just because of the incident. And it has nothing to do with anything other than their autism met with society in a very critical way. See, I think, I think that the best, the best way that to probably proceed through this would be for them to realize that there's no level of severity. All nope, there is, is different, autism. there's different classification of response systems. If anything, you have, you probably have a classification of certain autistic people that are going to, that are going to respond to this certain social dynamic this way. And I don't know about the, 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 well, the dynamic physical is- neurology of the brain where the disconnects, what the similarities and disconnects are. I'm just noticing the, the range in social interactions and the way that it can be practically applied to, to better integrate into a neurotypical world. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about like, you can have a high functioning, uh, autistic, whatever, you know, Asperger's person, and they can be put in a situation yeah. where let's say they're sexually assaulted. Yeah. Where they have a class. And all of a sudden they are so brought into their autism and their reaction to the offense that they can't even navigate and they become level two by default. That's what I'm saying. Because it's like, of the trauma. Be more the trauma pushes I think a better way to think of it would be like a rainbow color system yes, where you have somebody who can like, they're, they're normally operating in these colors, but when this situation happens, this color spikes up, this color exactly. spikes up heavily. Exactly. There's no, there's like no just no matter what on the spectrum, no matter how how many services they need or how functioning they are. Like yeah. autism has to be viewed more spectrumy. It's very specific. Like but they, they've specified it too much, I think. And you can't, and that's the thing. It's so specific. It's so randomly specific that if you try to specify it, like, and just apply it in a general sense, the only thing you can generally apply is that there's a major uh, disruption happening from a neurotypical brain to an autistic brain, and all that does is just alter their sense of perception. And if the people around them realize that they're, this is their perception, then there wouldn't be so many problems. I know that. From the neurotypical... Well, I think that's actually part of the problem, is that our perceptions tend to focus on things that are not functioning. We get hyper alerted to mistakes or, you know, hyper, you know, microaggressions. You know, if someone turns their shoulder when we're talking, we tend to take that, you know, we'll take, we, we perceive it. I think the the problem has been that the neurotypical world, I, I like this example. Someone used an example of like the neurotypical world is um well to me it's kind of like people coming up to me and they're rabbits and they want to know where the carrots are and i want to talk about like how to grow the carrot carrot. i want to talk about what the carrot you know maybe the other person on the spectrum wants to talk about how the carrot is 
you know, affects their body in a chemical way. Maybe another person wants to talk about the psychology of what is it about you that needs that carrot? Why is it orange? Why is the carrot orange? All these autistic perspectives and, you know, what have you. But the, the average person is looking at you like, what the fuck? I just want it's a, a carrot. carrot. <laughs> I just want a carrot. I don't want your babble. I don't want your psychobabble. I don't want your fucking, yeah. you know, intrusion into my my psychology of why I want a carrot. Get the fuck off me. I want a carrot and you're bugging me. Yeah. That's what I feel like every interaction I have with people is. Pretty much that. And I really think that, like, if there was more attention drawn to what is the autistic person freaking out about? What are they actually focusing on? What is happening in their world right now? Maybe the neurotypical world should be paying attention. Maybe there is something going on. They agree with the same thing with addiction. Um, Gabor Mate, he focuses on, he says, you don't ask the question, why the addiction? But what, I can't fucking remember, why the pain? What is the pain that is causing the person to use in order to escape that pain absolutely i got all that down. Let's get to the root of the problem <laughs> i consider it like the source symptom argument yeah people focusing on a symptom and not going to the source yeah they think mm-hmm. that the drugs are the problem they don't realize the drugs are a symptom of the problem exactly they don't realize that people have been doing fucking drugs for thousands of years people have been smoking for thousands of years and really if you take away the drugs or you put them all in prison or you take like whatever it is there's still going to be an underlying issue you're not going to fix any issue you're just going to fucking just manipulate it a little more so it looks a little different but there's always going to be that issue that problem that yeah it's like a wound that you put a band-aid on but you didn't realize that it needed to be cauterized exactly you know you're you're like basically creating an infestation and you know risking losing an entire limb for a Mm band-aid maybe i could write a book for autistic people to read to better navigate the neurotypical fucking world. I, I'll call it neurotypical. Isn't that what everyone's trying to do? Is that a joke? No, it's for real. <laughs> there's so many neuro- Okay, hold on. I wanted to stop. <laughs> okay. As an autistic person, how did you, what was your bodily reaction to <laughs> me? Oh, well, I already have this massive knot in my stomach because, like, I just wanted to stay in the bath all day. And now that I've gotten out, my son is loud and he's hungry. And I was starving when I got out and the house is a mess. And, and this, this neurotypical comes along and wants to write a book for neuro... For, for autistic. autistic. It's okay, I can tell you how to do this. Just listen autistics to me. Autistics at the party. Autistic at the... The only autistic at the party. There we go. Meet Are Kimberly. you the autistic? Kimberly's Are going you... to a party tonight. <laughs> what will she wear? And then it can show fucking you going through your fucking autistic thing or whatever. How's she going to get to the party? Fucking. What, then you can you... Uber or whatever. And then you get into the party. And then all the craziness starts happening. And then we just make it like a comic book. Hmm. Right? It'll be like. It'll be like the fucking the we can make a series of books like that, like children's books almost. Except they're not; 
They're artistic books. Kimberly goes shopping. Kimberly. You know I hate that name. Wilson gets her nails done. Wilson <laughs> goes to the doctor. You can write oh it. Children. Wilson goes to the psychologist. Ooh. Oh, he God. could write an entire children's <laughs> That sounds like a thriller. I think Stephen King should pick that one up. Oh, boy. Or how about this? I'm autistic. What do I do now? That's cute. I like that's that. a good one. That's, a, that's actually really good. Yeah. So you're autistic. Wondering what to do next? Yep. <laughs> Fuck, well, works. the first thing I suggest is you grab your cozy pillow and you climb in those covers so deep and hard and fast yep. and you stay there until you fucking feel better yep. let's start there and then you start reading the autism for dummies <laughs> i wonder if they have an autism for dummies i bet they do they have borderline personality Actually, that's a really good dummy. title autism for neurotypicals no. I like that. You should write yeah, these down. It's not good yeah, meaning, but it doesn't have good punch. It's not gimmicky. Yeah, it does. It's not gimmicky. Well, okay, we could say autism for dummies. Just saying it. Just saying. Or uh, otherwise known as neurotypicals. Just saying the word neurotypicals makes me tired. Autism for normies. The handbook. Yeah, that's good. We should do that. There should be a book. There should be a manual, a very thick manual. That goes over all of these things that are not talked about. Like, look, all of the things that you did not find in the books that you got, that you were expecting to find, you know? All of these, like, subjective fucking experiences and whatnot. Well, one of the things I would like to get into is, you know, I really want to, I'm sorry, but I want to shine a light on the failed medical community that has allowed this to happen for so long and has not stepped up despite the science to like quickly and swiftly start amending their rhetoric and their direction. Um, So like for me, I would like to talk about, um, you know, if you're a person who is seeking therapy, and you go through many therapies and possibly diagnoses, but you don't feel connected to them. Cause that's yeah. what happened to me. I would get a diagnosis and I'd be like, huh, just doesn't seem right. Like, yeah, okay, I'm depressed, but like, check it out. My depression is not disabling me. I actually romanticize it. Now, what do you do? How yeah. do you deal with the person who romanticizes their, their melancholy? What, they don't even know what to do with that. There's nothing you know for I mean? them. They just, they just don't even know what to do with that. But that's real. That's actually happening. And if you have any sort of suicidal ideation, you are probably already going into romanticizing. You know, it, it, it ends up there. That's where it ends you up. You know where it is for the romanticizing people? It's the TikTok community. It's these online communities that people are coming together on and finding each other through the use of fucking hashtags and whatnot yeah yeah and i just like the artist could, like, the artist group the era like you know when art was like what all the rage or whatever now it's just like something that happens in new york and these like fancy cities in my perspective um it's all online now yeah it's all with social media i just realized something so i don't watch your guys tiktok i don't do the social media thing 
I'll do it at all. I deleted my Facebook. Uh, everybody I know on my Facebook, all my friends are real. I know them. <laughs> <laughs> he has his so, real name. Okay, real names, have their phone numbers in my contacts. You know what I mean? But I'm noticing that Must when I nice. watch the tick, <laughs> it is. So right? when I watch the TikTok videos, I never see an autistic person talking to another autistic person like you guys are doing. This is different. If you could get this onto a TikTok about something important a little longer than a three-minute thing or whatever, or three minutes or whatever, I don't know what the length is, but uh, that would definitely pique my interest a lot more than these silly little things that I see. Well, that's what I we're like doing, and you happen to be a part of it, so... I like the memes and all that stuff, but you're 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 like when I watch them, you're looking at the guy who's looking at brainwave patterns in his mind, trying to analyze, you know, neural pathways and stuff like that. I want something with a little more bite to it, if you want me to dig into it. But I'm saying, like hearing you guys talk, just is a different. We've been talking about this for a while. We've been saying that our conversations are actually more. There's more content and context in our conversations, and that's what we need to like. That's what we need to focus on is our conversations. Because the conversations don't just focus on like one piece of the pie; they bounce and ricochet all over the place. And this is this is what I'm thinking. Somebody who's listening to to your to your whatever you're doing, your podcast, your your conversations, whatever. They might not get what you're focusing on, but they might recognize that erratic pew, 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 pew thing and go, oh, I do that. I can relate to this. Exactly. And they might start paying attention from that. Exactly. And then you I mean, get to see how autistic minds work in action. You're taken on the journey yes. that we go on so fluidly. Yes. That's what I liked about that um, Hannah Gatsby video that was off the record. It was just interviewing her. She's a comedian. Yeah right but yeah. in this interview it was quite sobering it was quite she was un, un, unadulteratedly autistic in a beautiful way like super amazing very she very much showed um her insecurities she very much showed her thought patterns um she showed you could see the complexity that was going on inside of her and she was able to describe, you know, like certain situations that people could identify with because they know her as, you know, the writer of Nanette or they know her as um, a comedian. But her taking them behind the scenes and, and, and sharing with them like her process and how it affects her. Because from what I understand from that interview, she stopped doing comedy because of how it's affecting her. Right. Right. But that interview was really I got more from that interview than I have from her comedy, which I thought was hilarious. But the, the actual interview with her made me really sad because I recognized the same thing in myself, like just seeing her talk normal was the most helpful thing. Uh, you and I think that's what he's highlighting is just hearing us talk well, normal hearing, hearing you talk could register to somebody who's on the spectrum who doesn't know it. And and they could find themselves just in the manner of the way we we're speaking. It's even helping me because you're you're talking about her wanting to quit comedy, and I'm sitting here thinking about it from from the from somebody with ASD with the mask trying to perceive these social interactions. So you get out, you have your comedy routine, you go out in front of a stage full of people, 
So now your your hyper focus is now hyper focused on every face in the crowd and how they're reacting to these superficial things. And you know what's what's crazy is you would think that that would be helpful to you, but what it's doing is it's subconsciously reinforcing all yeah. this fake stuff. So every little show you do is just a thousand more people that have given you this fake response system to try to process subconsciously because your guys' subconscious brain is so much more active um, on the conscious spectrum just because of your neural pathways, just because of your, your, your core system for breathing, your motor skills, uh, eating, all that stuff is all on one system and you guys have it like hijacked. So I can't even imagine like just the, the, if it's a visual, especially if it's visual, you guys are, the visual cortex is so stimulated. Now I can see why. And when you amplify the crowd by a thousand people, all those facial things, and it's a thing you might think you're focusing on one person consciously, you're looking at this one person to observe them, but your subconscious brain is observing everything that you pick up out of the corner of your eyes, everything. And it would just, it would overwhelm. It'd be like an info dump that you're not even aware of just happening in a split second and it just taking up so much space that you're not even aware of and causing so much subconscious conflict. It would be unrepairable. I can see why she would call a giant mask. Anytime you get on a stage or you have an audience, you're doing a performance. Yeah, It's an an entire masking act. See, I Whether didn't have that. I was a performer, but I blindfolded myself so that I didn't have to do that. Like, I strategically made sure that I separate. There was a boundary between me and faces and audience and eyes. You I are had too- no fucking... I did have awareness of them because I could hear them, but, you know, where I was working... They were very, you know, super sensitive and there was like dinner at the same time. So like they would make sure that no performer would go out until all the plates were cleared. People knew to be quiet. So it was, you know, it was quite a nice environment, you know, to work in. It wasn't like Cirque du Soleil where there was people eating popcorn or shit like that. Um, It was quite a hyper, you know, like reduced environment, very focused on the art and the performances. So 15 minutes, I can hyper focus for 15 minutes. And not only that, if I'm blindfolded, I don't see them. They don't affect me at all. (laughs) You can hear them, but it doesn't. I don't even hear them. They're so quiet. One thing like that, but on a smaller scale that I'm noticing for me, well, I know for I've known for a while. Just this this conversation that we're having here, the way that we're having it, as a phone call, as opposed to the normal way that you and I converse, which is just through exchanging voice clips. Right. And for me, like I listen to your clips, and the way it all works for me, the way like from my perspective, my point my point of view, is I play your clip, and then if you say something in that clip and I'm like oh I pause your clip and then I say it whatever I have in relation to that and then I I send it and then I continue playing that that one clip and I keep going and I find that in conversation 
because I've learned about some communication skills in my counseling classes. And one of the things you do is active listening, where you don't, you know, you don't speak while the person's talking and you don't start thinking about what you want to say. You hear what they're saying and then you sort of summarize it back to them so that they feel heard. And then that's like an empathy kind of thing. And it's like the counseling fucking process or whatever. But the thing that I do is I, I'd like and I I think about that because it is something that is like that that I do. Um, when someone's talking, I hear something and then I want to respond like immediately. And but just as quickly as I realize, oh, I know I want to say this. I think no, they're talking. And then I think, oh fuck, they're gonna think that blah blah blah. And I go into this whole like self criticizing thing. But this all occurs in like two, three, four seconds as but, you're having and, the conversation. Yeah, and my attention is brought to my inner dialogue, but as well, I am still partially hearing the conversation that I'm a part of, and yet part of my brain is in the background having its own conversation, saying, "No, no, no, you're not supposed to be doing this. Yep, what are you doing? Now they're going to think blah blah blah." Saying this about her. Yeah, me too, Kirsty. That's exactly <laughs> yep. what I do. I'll go along for the first couple sentences. Everything will be like as according to plan. <laughs> And then I am obviously, you know, never going to be prepared for what can come out of another human being's mouth. <laughs> and apparently, I'm always surprised. Script for it all you want. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I just start thinking about like, my first thing is, is like, I wonder why they said that instead of this. And then, you know. I tell myself that I'm not listening to respond, but I think it's just automatic if I'm autistic that I'm already in a million different ways, overanalyzing, missing cues, jumping, <laughs> jumping away. And I do the parallel thing too. Like that's a big deal for me. And I've gotten in a lot of trouble for it. I hate it. Someone will tell me something and I'll immediately be like, Oh, that's just like when I was like, da, 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 da. it's not exactly like that, but it's kind of like that because it gave me that same feeling that I think that's probably what you're feeling. Oh my that's, God. Like, that's, how I, that's how my brain fucking works, man. Like that's to how see, my brain works. To read I about it and say, try to find in my library what is the closest incident to what they're talking about that I relate to. Yeah. And then I have to tell them, of course, because we're going to relate. Yeah, oh I see God. you. That means you're not listening. <laughs> but I am listening. No, I, I see you. And it's just, it's just that it's on days where, where we lose the conversation more, it's just days that we're not on our game. Like, on a good day, I could be... <laughs> well, listen, dude, I mean it. On a good day, I could be in the middle of a conversation, and then I think, oh, yeah, like, in it's not even a second. It's a, it's, it's a quarter of a second. It's, I know something about that. This is my response. I put it in a fucking, I put it in a little pile in front of me and then I, and then I'm back in the conversation and it's less than a second. Like I have already, it's a process that needs to happen because we need to know what we are supposed to do in this situation. Our yeah. brain automatically, it's a survival thing. It's like in order to, to be fucking accepted by this other human being, I need to respond in this manner so that I am fucking abiding See, I by the feel that. society. I mean, I feel that a little bit. I think I feel that more than I thought I felt it, but this is my thing. When I go into a conversation, I usually feel like there's a goalpost, like there's something that is needs to be accomplished or something that needs yeah. to be understood. Let's, okay, let's just take it down to like, I'm in line at the Safeway getting groceries and there's really not any 
supposed conversation that's supposed to take place outside of hey how are you right and they might say something like yeah i'm really tired i didn't get a lot of sleep or, you know or something last night <laughs> and i'll immediately be like oh i hate it when i do that like yeah. i i will like be a mess and then i'll tell them about my mess and mm-hmm. i'll look at them and i'll be like you needed to know that for some reason but you didn't but i had to tell you i had to tell you you felt like it's- that was how you could that was the relate that was you relating. I'm trying to relate. And I, I think this- that's like a childlike thing too, right? Someone starts talking and you're like, oh yeah, me too. And you start da 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 da. So this and is the just- this is the thing. So you have this homeostasis system, basically. Homeostasis is your need to feel safe, uh, secure, your food is taken care of, your you have oxygen to breathe, um, your arms and legs are are moving, but this is another thing that's part of that same core system that that controls homeostasis. You have this genetic thing that's designed into us to be socially accepted, and it comes it out. It actually crosses over into more core systems where it's a need for survival. Mm-hmm. Um, with an autistic person, the 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 main part of your brain that you're not using consciously is usually devoted to your core system, which is recognizing faces for survival to know who's dangerous and who's not mm-hmm. and your auditory system for hearing things. But if your guys' visual system is so highly stimulated, um, things that come into anything that has to do with homeostasis or the system that runs homeostasis is very, um, severe what seems like something that's very very insignificant like say um kimberly having an instapot to make her cup of tea so she can just press the water and the water boils in the thing she doesn't have to do anything like Mm -hmm. it seems like a small thing the cup of tea seems like a small gesture but it's not it's a huge thing to her homeostasis setup and i don't know if it would fall under the category of homeostasis like clinically but it's the same system and it would be a branch off of the homeostasis system i think that makes a lot of sense and i think the autistic person their homeostasis is in their fucking body it's every well it's it's everywhere like uh but no but it takes place in our body and so like for homeostasis we could be out in public and all of a sudden a wind blows by oh it could be we're so cold that, that we need to get in the car but we, we can't have the conversation. We're totally frazzled until we get warm. Temperature would be a huge part of an autistic person's homeostasis. It's like, and until you get the things for homeostasis, like down and you get them like a, a firm foundation, your brain is going to be in this constant flux of trying to get to step two and three and four before it gets to step one. And yeah. the thing with an autistic person, if they're hyper-focused... <laughs> they better have a plan to get to step one and step two and step three and step four because they're not going to stop. And yeah. they will run themselves into oblivion if they do not find the correct course to proceed forward. So all the support, all the help, all the communities, the groups, any exchange of information is helpful. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I would time. say. <laughs> and no homie, the homeostasis, like... I think, I don't know, I can't recall for sure, but everything that you touched on with the temperature and safety and all of that are sort of 
innate brainstem function. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what if I'm you getting are at. To your core, your core. Yep. Yep. Mm. And, it, and this is the thing that core system that, if, that controls all that is actually what controls your subconscious brain also. Your subconscious brain is actually like a safety system to keep your body from physically destroying itself like to st- it shuts off your body and takes control of your motor functions especially when you're dreaming and what it does is it turns your body off so that when you're running in a dream you're not running yourself into a wall in this actual reality but the thing is is that all these little tiny subconscious things to an autistic person especially if it's visual have such a huge effect like it's not only just having the cup of tea having the water boiling in the Instapot, but it's just seeing the Instapot on the counter brings a sense of peace that helps build the homeostasis sphere, whatever you need to maintain homeostasis. It's a lot more intricate for an autistic person. It's simple when you get down to it, but it's very complex how you figure out just those like when you were talking things. earlier about how Danny came home and he brought out his suitcase and his clothes are spilling out. Oh God, that's bad. Just that one I, thing right there. Bad. I was just about to say, can like, can we talk about how seeing a perfectly clean fucking rectangular <laughs> rug or like all of these surfaces you have yeah. and they're clean and organized yeah. or just big blocks, like big blocks of color instead of sometimes like not all like all the little details, like book titles and fucking shit, but just blocks of nice fucking clean organized. Oh my God, I am so in heaven right now. So that's important to you. That's actually a lot more important than anybody would give it credit for, especially if they don't know ASD. And I don't know what the theories are, but I know that when the science gets further evolved, they're going to go, okay. Uh, you want an autistic person to adapt perfectly to a neurotypical society? It's easy. Make sure these 100,000 things are in place. Bing, 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 bing. And there will be no problem. There will be no misunderstanding, miscommunication. There won't even be like a need for understanding. The autistic person will be at a sense of calm. They'll flourish. Calm. They'll they flourish. Will flourish. And then they can do all the things that you expect of them. And I guarantee you this, if you could maintain the homeo, if you could get the homeostasis factor right, the anger level, the main thing associated with ASD, the anger response comes down. And I can actually testify to that. And once the anger comes down, uh, the whole response system changes. If you can get through that anger point. Yeah. I think that anger point is. I think that's why late diagnosis for women is so crucial because it it goes to a place of anger. They become so angry and so despondent. It's a subconscious pileup over years. Yeah, they can't. They can't. They can't accumulate more pileup. Yeah, it it is. It's like a. It's like just a. I okay, Kirsty. I I think I don't know if we were friends yet or not. Were you friends with me when I did my event? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, sorry about that. It was that. shortly after. I think you did it in like the spring or the summer or something. I did it in the summer. Yeah. yeah. And I was- so we met, we met in between that. So I did this event. Ironically, it was called The Unveiled Me. Yeah. And I think that I was already showing signs of like 
autistic burnout just by creating that event. Yeah. That I was actually subconsciously like saying, hey, society, check it out. I'm really tired. I want to be authentic. This is what I have to give to you. This is what I have to offer. But I'm going to be authentic from here on out. Like I'm not going to mask anymore. This is what my subconscious was saying. To the point of even titling it the unveiled me which i just find really weird you know like just really weird but during that process becoming so burnt out because i didn't know what was actually happening that it left me super vulnerable to predators so, i think something that people that we have been taught or pushed to ignore are those things like that what you did but before you were consciously aware of it before you were having thoughts about what you were doing the unveiling you were able to see it afterwards but your body was doing what it you know you were doing you were operating at a deeper and more intuitive level to do what it took for you as a person to, you know, thrive or survive or I was was. choosing to ignore challenges set before me that I felt were no longer significant. I was recognizing that I was going to a different level in life. I was, you know, just accepting that not all people are going to like me. And I was also accepting that like, uh, I can put out a bunch of effort and it won't necessarily be, you know, responded to. I, I can't even predict how it'll be. I, w- I was basically acknowledging autism and saying, hey, if this is the way the rest of my life is, I'm going to live it like this. Yeah. I'm fine with you not understanding me. Where it gets nasty is I'm not okay with being sexually assaulted because of it. I am not okay with you know being criminalized for my reaction to it as an autistic person. But the place that I got to before all of that happened um, is exactly where I'm exactly what I'm doing now, but with the added identity of knowing that I'm autistic. Yeah. So it's kind of painful because it's like, I was just doing what was coming natural to me. I was being myself and I was serving my community in a real real, real way and pretty much giving them everything I could of my blood, my body, and my sweat. I was on my hands and knees for them. That makes me sad. Yeah, it's 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 so horrifying. It's so horrifying. It's so horrifying. Yeah. Well, I don't know what we should do with this. Post it. But what should we do with this? Is this is this valuable information i would definitely call it so fuck yeah yeah okay no we we don't there's no rules yet we can put whatever we want i think you guys have been autistically accurate i think we've been autistically accurate (laughs) (laughs) well i've been neurotypically autistic so here we go close so uh this concludes our uh first premiere podcast with two autistically accurate persons and one neurotypically challenged. <laughs> I like and that. Challenging. 
He's a neurotypically <laughs> challenging person. And we're just going to throw it out there and see what sticks and keep doing more, but we're going to like focus. <laughs> hyper, hyper. We're going to hyper focus. <laughs> we're going to hyper focus. Oh my God. What, what's the first thing you want to talk about? Like specifically? Me? Yeah. I don't know yet because I got to make a phone call. So that's all I'm thinking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would uh, say homeostasis. What about you? I, oh, I got What homeostasis exactly I would, is. I think I would talk about the value of diagnosis and the accessibility of diagnosis and yeah. what it means to be undiagnosed. Actually, I think that's what I would start with. Diagnosis. And how important it is to not have a clinical one. It's just important that you get... That you recognize yourself. You recognize it because I will save your life. Are you going to write I some... Um, I might, I might, I don't like, I, well, I know how to write, but I learned how to write, um, like in school, like essays. So my, and even in, in like normal school, like not college school, (laughs) um, everything was in like points like that. Like you make your, your point and then it's like one, two, three, I don't know. That's super awesome. Bullet points. That's super awesome. So you have like A, B, and C, right? And each yeah, I do the same thing. Outline form, expanded by points, and then that's what you write about. Like I had to have it completely broken down, which was fantastic. To think like like each paragraph that you would make in this essay, you have to have the first paragraph is like the point that you're trying to make, and then the second and the third paragraph are sort of backing that up, and then the last or not paragraph, sorry, sentence, first sentence of the paragraph is the point you want to make. And then the second and third sentence are, you know, explaining that point. And then the last sentence is rounding that off and possibly introducing it. Yeah. And so that's so how I, I take notes like that when I'm in, if I'm in college and I'm in a lecture, I actually take notes in outline form. Really? Yeah, absolutely. That's what my mom used to do. Absolutely. That's the, the number one way for me to record a lecture. My notes now are like dialogue. They're questions. I am talking to this. I'm asking it stuff or I'm creating theories. See, I wholly focus on just taking notes and doing it in outline form. And then later I reread my notes and I redo the outline more thoroughly. And then I include questions. I love that. Observations. That's amazing. But it all starts with, and it all starts with like an outline. Absolutely. My dog's gonna start barking. Okay. Um. Are you gonna make my phone call? Okay. Love you. Later. Bye. Hi there. I love how exciting it is when we connect on here. (laughs) Exciting for me every time. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm Lucem, and how do you want to? Who do you want to be? I don't know. I've never really. I feel weird saying my name, or really ever referring to myself. So we're just two autistic uh, women, and we're talking today about how we actually even came to autism and discussing diagnoses. Yeah. 
And I want to know how you came to it. Um, okay, so should I, I start where I started or, or like, um, yeah, just tell me that story of how you, how you, I'm searching yeah. for like why I am uh, crazy. <laughs> why, why things are so difficult, like why there's so many, like it started with the depression, like trying to learn more about depression. And then it went from there, I learned about anxiety, yada, yada. Um, I can't remember exactly the way. Um, well, you're telling me how you were interested in psychology and anything to do with your mental body, health, everything, mental health. and every subject around it. And um, um, yeah, I kind of think. So when I got into school, when I got into college. Um, I just, I obviously I learned more and I have this feeling of, you know, always have, like, I've got this feeling of wanting to achieve something in life. And the more that I learn and the more life progresses, it's like the more that I learn about this thing that I want to do or whatever it is, my purpose, whatever you want to call it. Um, so when I got into college, I started coming up with these ideas of something like a mental health clinic something mental health related I thought about youth but then I came up with um like like mental health like clinics and like how you go to a doctor and you get checkups or um yeah you could go to these places and uh you know like do tests like testing for depression and stress scales and anxiety and um what else is there like like what sort of balance you have in between your leisure and your work life and your family and your finances and all of that fucking shit and the social determinants of health and fucking whatever all the whatever but I'm still like learning things about myself and like trying to like going on hyper focus fucking research fucking like things where I find a subject and something in me is like this is important this relates to blah 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 and then I as I learn more about it I figure out how it is connected um but then I started realizing how important um expression is and especially for people who I don't know this is what I think I was thinking of what kind of therapy what is going to work and expressing yourself in any sort of form through music, watching Danny as he struggled, but he started playing guitar and all he did was play guitar. And that was like, that's when he was the happiest. Um, and he tried all sorts of other little art things. I have my writing, um, any kind of expression. So then I started looking up art therapy because I'm like, well, that is the epitome of expression. And, um, and then I saw how common it is with children with autism. I'm like, okay, what is this autism thing? Like now, like I'm in hyper-focus mode, I might as well see what the fuck it is. And then <laughs> it's like, what? What? That's me. <laughs> like, what is happening? And then it was, it was, but it wasn't that clear. It was like, um, you know, finding lists on the internet. Like one of the ones that you sent me, the, the, um, the characteristics of like nine to 11 year old girls and uh, some of the stuff that just things like that and some of the stuff that just jumps out that you don't even expect to bunch in with all of these other things that you're recognizing about yourself 
And what, that was this year? That was January 2020. In my journals is the first time I saw anything about autism. January of 2020? Yeah. So you've been, you've been grappling with this privately for a year and a half? Well, I got really into it. And like I said, it wasn't that like cut and dry because a lot of it, like before that I was looking up, um, you know, I was curious about shadow work and uh, like not being suicidal, but the, I don't know, like the depth of the emotions that go around that, like sorrow and grief and, um, you know, how they really fucking and yeah, and stuff like that. And I was really like, it was, uh, there was, there's a lot going on, but then I get to autism and then everything that I'm writing about is about autism and dissociation disorders and the spectrum of dissociation because that's like me and it's <laughs> I don't know how long I've been doing that but I'm it's been since well since then since 2016 but I don't remember because I fucking dissociate all the time mm-hmm. so it's fucking weird but the autism um I was on it for I think it was only a month maybe three yeah both two three months because in March then um then I had to switch cities pandemic and shit just got real like it got way too real like that is when um you know I was having breakdowns on the phone like Toronto was calling me and um, they're telling me the scheduling and like asking me about like like um do you have any of these symptoms blah 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 blah, blah. and I'm like oh I just started fucking crying I just started bawling and it was like one of the first times where I didn't have the capacity to feel embarrassed about crying because I was so overwhelmed that like I couldn't even hide it. I couldn't even shade it. Like it was exploding mm-hmm. <laughs> out of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then at the hospitals after that, same thing, breakdowns in the hallway. Um, like I've all, I've, you know, the meltdowns and stuff started happening after I gave birth that I've started, like, that I noticed or that I, you know, that I can, I don't recall any before that in my life. Um, But yeah, this last year, they've been fucking, they've been crazy. They've been so extreme. Like, it's like the mask is falling, you know, and I'm at the point now because it was so exhausting like, I knew about the autism, and it's like, maybe it just it went somewhere in my subconscious. Because it didn't really come back up until these last few months. Um, it just, it was just, I don't even think I referred to it much. But it was present in the background, um, relating to, you know, how, the things that I started to be become conscious of that I was doing. And, yeah, shit like that. So, and somewhere along there, I was sharing that content from Jen has ADHD. Oh, yeah. And then TikTok came into it. Like on TikTok, there's like autism and like every, because I got diagnosed with BPD. So on TikTok, I found BPD TikTok. I found trauma talk. And then I find ADHD talk, which is like the, the, the whole and like the entire mental health community. Half of it is ADHD. But the ADHD is actually 
ADHD and autism and just neurodivergency in general and people who are misdiagnosed, the BPD is in there. And it's, it just became this common, you know, thing in my head, I think since November, last November. Hmm. When you brought it up, I was just like, oh, you like, I just thought I'm like, okay, so you have autism. And well, cause I remembered, um, you know, I don't know. Like I just, yeah, I thought that you just, you had it and you didn't talk about it. Really? That's what yeah. you thought? I assumed that that was my assumption. That was my logical. I'm like, that's obviously that's it. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Because you're ADHD. <laughs> I don't see like, I have like this forgetfulness and this weightiness sometimes. And I see it in Danny. I don't see similarities of Danny and you. But I don't think it's not ADHD. It's not that kind of neurodivergency. So it must be autism. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. That's really interesting. So for me, I think it was, um, there's so much to discuss that like, I really don't even feel like it's appropriate to like, to begin where I should begin because it's so comprehensive and it would have to start with my childhood, but I can't really do that you know, in this context, I'm, I would have to take it to uh, being sexually assaulted and noticing that my community didn't really care that much. Yeah. And they claimed to care about sexual assault, but for some reason, they differentiated sexual assault against me. For some reason, it was okay that I was sexually assaulted. And I was really not happy with that awareness. I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're all against rape, but unless it's me. So that tied into like a whole bunch of stuff from my childhood and um, religion and being raised in a cult. And everything was okay as long as it was happening to me because I deserved it. I was evil. That was just an you know, an understanding. Everyone knew that common knowledge. And so when my sexual assault wasn't investigated, um, I got really mad, rightfully so. And Mm -hmm. I even had a motto, public and legal, and made some videos on YouTube. Nothing, you know, nothing weird, just basically documenting the things that people were saying to me online and showing like what people, how people respond to a sexual assault victim. And I definitely noticed that they were like highlighting things like she's retarded. um, She's mentally ill I was being removed from platforms, removed from groups. I was being uh, blocked and, you know, all of it based on the fact that I had some pretended mental illness and, you know, obviously I should be avoided. I'm dangerous. And so I took the, the stance of like, well, wait a second. So uh, let's say I am mentally ill. Let me give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, is that how we treat people who are sexually assaulted with mental illness? Is that how we treat them? So I was just blown away with like all this. 
awareness of just like how narcissistic our society is to even like have these reactions and lack of reactions so you already know i was criminalized i was arrested on false allegations um one of these people who particularly bullied me felt that they wanted to lie and perjure themselves and say that i was stalking them and i was arrested on a stalking charge that was never actually real i had never been stalking this person and they knew that um i was held on a two million dollar bail for 15 months illegally the charges were dropped but the problem was is that's that, a crazy amount yeah it's ridiculous it's really it's, it's, like, it's what an international terrorist bail is what it is i remember seeing that and i'm like what in the <laughs> who is this woman (laughs) one of the things that haunts me to this day is when i look at you know actual people being arrested for sexual assault crimes and i see their bails and i'm Mm -hmm. like wow (laughs) so i was more dangerous than this person you know even even you know derek almina who was brought up on charges for the ghost ship where 36 people were killed had a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar bail but somehow Mm -hmm. me who's never had any problem whatsoever. Uh, no drug issues, no issues of violence, no criminal record. Somehow I'm a $2 million bail from the gate. Yeah. So long story short, um, through my incarceration, the DA, the district attorney of Sonoma County, really wanted to impregnate the idea that I was bipolar. So... I underwent evaluations, psychiatric evaluations for bipolar. Uh, It was inconclusive. There were two doctors from the district attorney's office that said I was bipolar. There were two doctors from my attorneys that declared I wasn't bipolar. But the problem I had was that I left jail and was released without having any conclusion about what was going on. And I didn't have you know, any sort of general assessment taken. No one really looked at neurodivergence, you know, possibilities or none of it. And I was, you know, thrown out of jail, homeless. And within a year in my own place, um, got my credit back, got my, you know, got my vehicles, uh, got my job. Uh, So their allegations of mental illness or drug addiction don't (laughs) hold up, you know, that that person isn't able to get up on their feet after being completely ripped from society and to everything taken from them. That that doesn't happen in a year. And truth be told, I did it in six months. I just didn't have my own house in six months. So, you know, I try to like alert people to, oh, you know, what type of a person is capable of doing that? Oh, I'll tell you. It's a person who is able to hyper-focus. It's a person who doesn't have a lot of support around them and is used to doing things on their own and with a lot of, you know, without a lot of interference. So that's what I did. And through that, I got back online, was able to like sort of network a little bit because I didn't really have any friends from when I was arrested. I was held too long. I lost all of my connections. I was able to find you. Um, But getting back online, I somehow connected to Jen has ADHD. Yeah. And 
I didn't even notice that I was identifying with every single post, except for I eventually noticed that I was identifying with every single post. I'm like, hey, wait a second. For like the last three months, I've literally liked every single thing this person has published. I might have shared every single thing this person has published. And then you and I started sharing each other's posts. Yes. And then we started eventually, I think it took a couple months, though. Before we yeah, actually had a conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then once we had a conversation about it, you were like, I've been wondering if I should talk to you about this. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it was you who sparked me having taking the Aspie quiz, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I found like I've seen that that's the only thing that's really available that has been used for quite a while um and i have to say kirsty thank you for saving the most important person in my life because if you hadn't appointed her in the right direction there's no telling how how bad this could have been really fast really fast good timing very good timing so then we found the aspie quiz and uh, honestly for me kirsty like that is the aha moment yeah, I, rem- I remember when you messaged me, you're like, holy have, fuck. Yeah, I have a son who I've already gone through this. I've advocated for a child on the spectrum, but he is a male child. And I, you know, that was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about taking that Aspie quiz, you know, the one with 121 questions and they give you a visual at the end of it that like mm-hmm. puts you like in some sort of visual, you know, way. That was the one that absolutely, like, my world has not been the same since. Let's just put it that way. Um, I never even imagined it. I never imagined that that could even be a possibility. And then when we talked about the Aspie quiz and we talked about, like, the results that we were finding and we talked about, you know, how it, how could it be that we never even thought of this? Yeah. All other similarities, too. Yeah. And then it's just like this. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of its own hell in a way. Yeah. Yeah, you like you went the first two days, first night, night, day and a half, just completely fucking balls to the wall focused on this. Like you, I'm pretty sure you you stayed up all night and looked up every single thing that you could find about it. Yeah, I think in the first 24 hours, I had scourged the internet is and and got some really good information enough to like you know blow my mind. And yeah. before the 24 hours was up, I'm pretty sure I'd already ordered some books on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I was in bed for two days trying to recover from everything I'd learned. This one, visible differences. Yep. Yep. For and, me, and sorry, then the, the process of like getting all those books and being traumatized with the, the fact that, you know, I, I, I ordered a lot of books online about female autism. And yeah. the majority of what I got is basically highlighting the ineffectual status of where we're at in diagnosing women on the spectrum. 
That's what you I spoke with a bunch of question marks. I basically invested in material that only confirms the clinical failure to diagnose women and others on the spectrum. That's what you guys need to change the name of this to. You, need, you guys need to change this to let people know that this is a woman's ASD group, not a man's. Mm-hmm. That might actually get you the accurate following. Because it doesn't say that. I was just thinking about that right now. I was yeah, because like, I don't want a whole bunch of male trolls. Male <laughs> trolls. Just trolls. They're just. <laughs> oh, what? Because it's female. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But if I see, this is the thing. If I was flipping through autistic things, like uh, shows to listen to, I would stop on the female one that I knew had something to do with female because it's like all the men's stuff. It, it applies, I guess, but it's not, it's not the same. It's too, it's not, so. it's more subtle. How can we fit women into the title? Do you think we should? Hmm. I, really I don't okay I don't know I don't even want to think about that right now because um, that's not okay yeah put a pin in it put a pin in it so um. now my problem is that I'm so angry with the medical community for their failure their acknowledgement of their failure is subpar because as far as I'm concerned if you make that kind of a failure to the point where you have to deregulate Asperger's from the DSM and incorporate it into an autism umbrella and you already know why you're doing that doesn't it make more sense to draw attention to the fact and the failure of all the people that fell through the cracks because of that uh, particular diagnosis. Doesn't doesn't it seem like they have a responsibility to find us? You know, if they did that, then they would have to do it for the whole mental health community. Uh, It's not like it doesn't seem like anyone's fucking picking that up. So what? I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, it's like it's such a massive failure Mm -hmm. that like I don't know. It's horrific. It's horrific. It's really horrific. It's horrific. And to think, I mean, even if it just came down to like, okay, so let's just put something out there, blanket statement that, you know, if you're a medical professional and someone is coming to you for an assessment, a female is coming to you late in life for an assessment of ASD, how about we put it on the same terms that we do with rape? Just believe her. Mm hmm. Just believe right? her. Like, and what people do you have to, late... to investigate and give her an assessment if she's requesting? How is that problematic if you already know that that the medical field has failed them? How is it possible to turn one woman away? I was just thinking earlier, like, oh my god, my brain is shutting off. Oh, my brain is shutting off! No! It's only 24 minutes. Oh. In 23 Mm -hmm. seconds. In 26 seconds. People who are late diagnosed, um, like, you know, if they have spent enough of their free time looking this up to the point where, and learning it and applying it to the point where they're going to go to a doctor 
a professional to get they're gonna take the time out of their day or pay them money or whatever it is go through the entire fucking process to do this like dedicate to that yeah why did somebody go we should be treated as experts just as well as the people who are diagnosing like i'm gonna go back again to with you know like um aa meetings and the what is it like the self-help not self-help but like the steps programs like with sponsors and stuff like the people who ran those are people who have lived experience they're it's not doctors and nurses it's people who have went through it and they are experts because that's their field it's their life yeah and so you know it should be the same for this like we live this i i think it's the same as 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 my rape comparison we already know that most women are afraid to come forward. We already know that most people are not going to file charges. So if someone goes through everything that we already know is almost impossible to get them to file it, and they come forward and say, I'd like to file, why would you not believe them? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? What's the problem with investigating? Because that's all they're asking for. They're not saying declare this true. They're saying, please put this in a courtroom for me please put this under investigation for me. I have reason to believe that there, a crime has been committed. I have reason to believe that I need a diagnosis. Please put an investigation forward for me. That's all we're asking. It's the same. That should be enough. It's, it should be enough. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't preclude or guarantee any sort of outcome. All it does is give you the benefit of the doubt that no, to know that, that your community that your systems in place that are there to protect you, um, you know, are actually helping you. Especially when you're asking for help. Yeah. You know, and now I feel, so for me, as far as like getting diagnosis, and I've talked extensively about this, like that's one of the questions that keeps coming up with professionals is, so how will diagnosis affect your life? What will change? And there's, I have two feelings on that. One is um, part of me, the rebel in me says, screw you people, you failed us already. I don't need your diagnosis. I know who I am. I know what I am. And I can go forward and I can go all the way. And I can totally convince everyone of what I'm saying because it's true. Yeah. I don't need your diagnosis. But then on the other hand, there's a part of me that says, wait a second, I actually do need it. Because no one's going to read my book or listen to my podcast or trust my quote or, you know, without, it's like this catch 22, like you can't Mm -hmm. do it without the validation. And the only people that I'm interested in even helping are the people who are most likely going to feel, you know, fall through the cracks. The people who had misdiagnosed or never going to get diagnosed. Yeah. Those are the people that concern me the most. So my needing validation, how does that make them feel if they know they can never even get there? Does that make sense? Like this, it's like survivor's guilt. It's like, I feel guilty. I'm not really sure what I should be doing, but I feel like, like it's important for me. I guess I'd look at it this way. If I was a woman who knew I could not get diagnosed and I was sure that this was my diagnosis and just the political situation, the insurance situation, whatever, I happen to be in a country where they don't even acknowledge adult autism. You know, there's a lot of criteria for why this could be. 
Um, if I were one of those women who knew without a doubt that I could not ever get a diagnosis until things changed politically or, you know, in some way for me, would I want someone else to not get a diagnosis because of that? I would definitely want to see it happen. I would definitely want to be alive and experience that in my lifetime. Like I would want, want them to get to a that diagnosis despite the fact that I couldn't. Because yeah. I wouldn't know. Maybe that person who got the diagnosis would remember me and come back and come to my country or come to my husband or come to my doctor and say, hey, the same thing happened to me. Yeah. And I would have been totally falling through the cracks, but someone saw it in me too. I just, I just would never hinder someone. And I do think that we need to get the medical profession to actually step up and, and actually, you know, acknowledge their failure. Cause this is a failure. Can't, the Asperger title has only been removed this year. Wow. I think it was 20, wasn't it 2013, wasn't it? Or no? No, I'm just saying from the DSM. Oh, really? I don't know. I, it could be longer. I think, you know, if, if anything, I think it was the 90s. But either way, I mean, why does it take 40 years to discredit, you know, a Nazi inclined scientist that killed autistic people? Why does it take 40 years, 50 years, 60 years? Why does it take one year? Yeah. Like, how come they didn't distance themselves immediately? How did he get that acclaim all that time? And let's face it, there are a lot of people who are still identifying with it. So it's not dead yet. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just, it's, it's very political for me. So yeah. diagnosis is political and um yeah, I'm I'm the girl who would like to get diagnosis in order to go back and have some legitimacy to question, you know, places like France and Canada and, you know, the Arab Emirates and say, why aren't we actually looking at this? Yeah. What? I'm really like... What is happening? All, Mary, all males carry an X and a Y chromosome and receive the X from their mothers. Females carry two X chromosomes, receiving one from each parent. Hence, girls can inherit fragile X from either parent, while boys inherit it only from their mothers. That's the truth. That's matriarchal DNA. Holy shit, it is. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about matriarchal DNA. It should be. Definitely. What I'm saying is that women have less of a chance of getting it because they have two X things. So if one gets, I don't know, I just started reading it. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm looking up at uh, UC Davis. Because they're the experimental research leaders, I would imagine, and they seem to have all kinds of women's autism stuff. 
So, Kirsty, how do you feel about getting diagnosed? Is it something you want? Is it something you don't feel inclined to? Or I think that if I was in a different place in my life, um, I would be able to pursue it. But at this moment, like, I think it out and I think how much money it costs, how much money I have. Um, the barriers that are basically against me and like the risk benefit not risk benefit but like what am I going to what is going to change what's going to change for me it's like I you know I I can idealize stuff but what is going to change for me in my everyday life or I don't know Let's say that money wasn't an object and it was something that, you know, politically, you know, you just make the assessment appointment, the assessment is made. and If there is no money, I would do it. That's what I want to know. 100%. Yeah. It would be, I I would, it would be a a very large part of my life. So if you want it, it would be a chunk. Do you feel a certain sadness that you don't get to like explore this or that you don't feel like it's that there's support for you to explore this? Um, really, I feel like I'm just going to do it a little later on in life. Like right now I can't afford it, but what I can do is learn more about it. And um, I don't know, whatever else that entails, whatever I decide to do with my time. And at some point, I can pursue it. Like, you know, get it done. There's so much sound happening in my house right now. And you have a young child that you are walking through assessment too. Yeah. So I had that experience, but I didn't know that I was on the spectrum at the time I was advocating for my son. So while I learned a lot, I still didn't take advantage of it the way I could have. And there will be certain opportunities for you to take advantage of and, you know, have, you know, have just opportunities to like, you know, now, now that you know that you, you know, you find yourself on the spectrum going through you know certain processes with him and exposure with him it's not exactly the end all be all for you but it's closer yeah it's It's sad too I feel sadness when I think of him you know because like I have figured out how to navigate life like I've been like until I moved here, like, I moved every two years. Like, it, you can call it avoidance, but I knew what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about Ollie, I just think of the support and the support that I am not able to offer him and what he needs. And then I worry about, you know, I worry about everything. About him not getting what he needs. Every time he struggles or he gets upset. Well, I would I worry because, and I don't mean to, like, you know, implore doom or anything but let's face it one of the things that I'm realizing just my own confrontation of you know finding myself on the spectrum and facing you know the medical community and the stigma from society and all the all the ableism and things like that is that the 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 majority of resources available 
are resources that actual autistic people want nothing to do with. Yeah. The actual, like, you know, go-to places like Autism Speaks, etc., are, you know, places and people who talk comfortably about finding a cure for autism. And so these are the people that nine times out of 10 government agencies and systems in place are going to be resourcing to help your child. And it's medically based, you know, so it's it's not pathologized. No. Yeah, it's not comforting at all. It's actually terrifying. I feel like because it's medically based, it goes along with the theme of patriarchy, patriarchal society, like just addressing things in a singular manner and not with a holistic view or a multidisciplinary approach. Um, It's just, you know, oh, there's something there. Let's cut it out and fix it. You know, and it's not like that. Right. Okay. Yeah, I have the same worries for my son. Um, and for me, it's it's really weird right now because it's like, I feel like, I don't know, there's just this example that comes to mind. Um, like, I heard a story about a woman with two children a true story uh that took place during tsunami that was on christmas eve i think it was 2005 and basically she was confronted with the choice of like she had one child who was too young and couldn't swim and another child that was just old enough to swim and she had to choose which child she could save and which child she had to let go and of course she let go of the child that she believed could possibly swim and survive and for me it kind of feels like that's the choice that I'm facing with regard to my son and I either advocate for him and spend the rest of my life like trying to make sure that he's protected from the system and the medical field that is not so eager to necessarily help him um, or I save myself and hopefully have the energy and the resources to, you know, have an impact on his life before it's too late. You know, these aren't choices. No. This is a horrible, horrible dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I am, I am choosing to focus on me. And then I have survivor's guilt, feeling like, uh, you know, how selfish, how self-absorbed. But being being more knowledgeable and understanding of of the subject and yourself and all of that is more beneficial to your son than you ignoring. I just don't see how I could proceed any other way because I'm at a full stop recognizing myself in this spectrum and recognizing every single you know like having flashbacks all day and. You know, it's like having pop rocks of life just like exploding left and right memories, a conversation, ooh, this person, the way they looked at me. Oh, I remember, I remember that comment, you know, just constant explosions of little memories and little microaggressions that look different now when I see that I had autism, that it wasn't, you know, that I was evil and all of these things. So I don't think that I could advocate for him. Because I haven't properly been able to 
recategorize all these little pop rockets of life that have happened to me. Yeah. I actually have to like go through that until that settles down. You know, when you put pop rockets in your mouth, it explodes for like 15, 20 seconds. And then eventually it's like two or three pops and eventually it's done. Yeah. I'm waiting for that part. You know, I'm just waiting for the explosions to stop or to slow down or to be, you know, at least before I take another dose. That's for sure. For the popcorn to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah and I'm getting that now I'm remembering stuff that I didn't even realize I had forgotten until I remembered it again all while raising my son the most (laughs) the most seemingly you know ridiculous detail all of a sudden looks completely different to me now completely different it's insane it Mm -hmm. but it's comforting in a way because it's like I could remember these memories before I knew this about myself and then remember them and remember them and remember them and turn them over and over and over in my head and wonder what is wrong with me why did that happen why did I let this happen why do they do this why the fuck why 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 and have all these questions and never get past it but you get this little fucking nugget of fucking amazingness i don't even know what to call it my vocabulary it feels is so like shit. heaven i mean it, yeah. in a way it feels like going to heaven it's like a key like all of a sudden you know you get this memory and you're like oh this key goes in this there yeah yeah it's exactly like that like the key yeah. fits oh mm-hmm. my god the key is going all the way through and the door opened no way <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it feels like so that's perfect <clears throat> females are protected from fragile x syndrome to a degree because they have two X chromosomes, because one of their X chromosomes is most likely to be normal. The effect of the abnormal one is less pronounced. They usually have milder problems than males, with only 30% having intellectual disability and the rest having emotional or learning problems. This is from UC Davis. Well, that would explain why women don't tend to have the same social that's Dr. Hagerman, leading authority on fragile X syndrome. She's the medical director of the UC Davis Medical Investigation on Neurodevelopment Developmental Disorders. That's really the cool. Mind, it's the Mind Institute, M-I-N-D Institute. Exactly. The Mind Institute. That sounds interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. UC Davis. Mm. Usually the best at research and experiments and stuff. They should know more than anybody. I don't think. Something I didn't know that. Something to investigate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used um. You ever look up think tanks? I learned about think tanks in college. Mm-hmm. Write that down. I didn't. Uh, Our whole life is a think tank. When it yeah, first, when I first clean. discovered them, I'm like, oh my! Like it was like the holy grail. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, why isn't this a widespread thing? Why didn't I learn about think tanks in fucking high school? Our whole like, life is a think tank. <laughs> Every day with us is a think tank. Hmm. It's fun. It sounds fun. You're fun, honey. I love you. Well, let's get together again and talk about... I think there's still more to talk about diagnoses. Yeah. Um, I think we should just have like a, another segment and just keep talking and exploring diagnoses. Mis-diagnoses. I wrote some stuff down. I wrote some ideas down we can talk about after. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but I've been misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and how that plays a role. And I understand that many women have been misdiagnosed with BPD, which is exactly what happened to me. So I think we should. I'm diagnosed with it now. Yeah, I think we should talk about that and like what would bring someone to be to have that diagnosis, and what are the things that make it clear that that's not the right diagnosis. Okay. So let's talk about that next time. Okay. Cool. All right, love. Bye. Bye. Have a great night. You too. Thank you.